Christianity is a smart faith. We don't just take it on blind naivete. It's, it's been thought through and we have good reasons to believe. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm not joined by Dave the Party Van Vickle. Instead, we have a special guest today. This is one of a series of interviews that we will be doing so Dave can have a sweet, sweet break. I am talking to the one, the only content director of Word on Fire, Brandon Vaught. How you doing, Brandon? Hey, Mike. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. He, I sent him an email last week, and he's like, yes, I'll come on. And we confirmed a date, and then I never spoke to him again. And then he's like, hey, that was 10 minutes ago. And I was like, oh, God, I'm still in my car. So, uh, yes, dealing with me is like dealing with a flighty, flighty musician. I never know what I'm doing or when I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> and that is an insult to musicians. Um, awesome. So, basically, how this show goes is we talk about evangelization um, from our perspective, from our background. We want to share with Catholics everywhere how to evangelize. And um, part of the inspiration for that was the Word on Fire Institute, all the great things that y'all are doing out there on Word on Fire, equipping people. You know, I'm a, uh, I'm a Thomist as well as a fan of Hansers von Balthasar. And when I found out that the first series was <laughs> the, the good bishop doing a whole thing on von Balthasar, I was like, but one of the things that I found for what um, we're trying to do is I also travel on the side and give talks at parishes and dioceses. And they're, they're still at that, many Catholics, especially when I go to where Catholicism is a lot older, right? So I'm in a nice suburban parish that's 20 years old, but they don't know what evangelization is. They get catechesis. I know how to talk to people about, you know, the sacraments and stuff like that, but they don't get evangelization. And so having an apostolate, do you guys call an apostolate? What do you call word on fire? Is an we do. Yeah. We apostolate do. ministry, but I like apostolate. That's the official language of the church. Nice. Nice. What was the line from uh, Cardinal George? I'm looking for the movements. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's so important. But to teach Catholics, both institutionally and personally, how to preach Christ, him crucified and risen, is a skill that many Catholic church employees, devout Roman Catholics, don't have. And I can't tell you, just today I was in a diocesan meeting and someone said, you know, part of our evangelization process with the parents is we send them home with the lesson that we teach their kids and then we email them a word on fire video from Bishop Barron, you know. And so how did y'all get started developing the, the, the ideas, the thing that would become word on fire, especially your side of it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it all started with then Father Barron, who was just a professor at Mundelein Seminary. You know, he wasn't terribly well known. He'd written a couple books. He was known in the academic world. But then his bishop at the time, Cardinal Francis George of Chicago, um, they were talking about Father Barron's future. Father Barron wanted to go become a professor. He had even received a few offers to teach at University of Notre Dame and Catholic University of America. And that's kind of how we saw his future playing out, that he would yeah. be, you know, professor of theology, working with grad students, doctoral students, doing research. And that would basically carry him to the end of his days. But Cardinal George uh, declined both of those requests which kind of made Father Barron a little frustrated, but then he told him, <laughs> you know, I think God has something more for you, that I think mm -hmm. the Lord's given you gifts to shape the culture in a much bigger way. You'd be a great professor carrying your little briefcase and teaching your students, but 
I think the Lord has something more for you. Yeah. And part of that came from Cardinal George's background as an OMI. His order was one of these uh, movements that arose after the French Revolution, after the faith was decimated in France, and it was this movement of evangelization that arose to galvanize uh, the people there and bring the faith back. He wow. wanted Father Barron to do something like that in America and in the West. Um, so that's kind of how the Word on Fire idea got started. It began with with Father Barron first putting homilies online. Uh, he said, he tells the story that there was a, a donor who came to him and said, you know, you're a great preacher. I hear you preach all the time. We should record your homilies and build a website and put these homilies <laughs> on a website. And he says, no joke. My immediate response was, what's a website? <laughs> he had no idea what even that meant. Uh, but anyway, he got the bishop of the new media. <laughs> exactly. And he's self-deprecating about it. He'll be the first yeah, to admit yeah. uh, that, that he's not the most tech savvy. So anyway, <laughs> it started off with the homilies online. And then there was another donation where somebody said, look, we want you to do something creative with the internet or with new media yeah. to spread the gospel. And that's right around when YouTube was getting off the ground. So they decided to film some YouTube videos. They put Bishop Barron, then Father Barron in a little auditorium and they got him talking about movies. The first one was Martin Scorsese's Departed. And uh, he Such offered some movie. theological movie. and spiritual reflections on the movie. They yeah. uploaded it to YouTube. No idea what to expect. But then they said they all celebrated when it crossed 300 views. They, they were like having a party because they thought this is incredible that we could film this and it would get out to hundreds of yeah. people. Um, and then from there, it's just taken off. From there, we you know built websites. We've done films and documentaries like the Catholicism series. Um, we do a ton of stuff on social media. And then... Most recently, we've launched this big Word on Fire Institute where we've been training thousands of Catholics on how to evangelize the culture, particularly through the new media. Um, so that's a, the short encapsulated story of Word on Fire. That's awesome. I remember um, in one of your episodes of your wonderful podcast, The Word on Fire Show, you were talking about a panel that the bishop was on where they were discussing, like, what does it mean to be evangelized? Like, what is an evangelized person uh, you know, what does that mean when you know that they that they're a disciple of Christ or some, some language like that? And, you know, and it went through the panel and, it, you know, oh, you, you live for others. You engage in acts of service. You work for justice and peace. And it came to him and it's like seems to be pretty clear that you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And it's so funny because I was reading through Acts of the Apostles at that time, and I was like, "Yeah, no, that's it, <laughs> right? Like, like that's the that's the threshold one crosses in order to in order to call oneself like, yeah, no, I I, I believe that he's risen, and that changes the game for everything. Um, oftentimes, my biggest thing when it comes to catechesis is we don't put Christ at the center of our catechesis. So I run a program called Inclusion. I've talked about it a lot of times on this show. Inclusion is for well-formed and baptized Protestants who want to become Catholic. So I dispense with all every ounce of red tape I could possibly find. I get rid of and it's uh, we do a lot of studying together. We do a lot of reading and we do a lot of talk and I do a lot of talking, let's be honest. Um, but it's a lot more intense than what I do for the regular RCIA. And part of that is because so many of them are scared to become Catholic because they know in their different Protestant backgrounds they had Christ. They're scared to have Mary. They're scared to have the sacraments. They're scared to have the Pope, but they know they have Christ. So the sent and this is you know in a in a lot of ways all the different strands that build this. This is what led to us starting this podcast as well. Is because at the center of it, every single class I teach 
connects to centrally the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like every single thing. Why do we have a, a pope? Because St. Paul talks about, I use Galatians um, chapter one, like if you've been given any other gospel than the one that I've given you, let them be a curse. Like St. Paul took this very seriously. How do we know in an age of a thousand different gospels, which gospel is the right one? That's why we have a hierarchy to guarantee the gospel, right? Like mm. to go through this stuff, you know, guard the deposit of faith and all this stuff, even sexual morality, medical morality, just war theory, service of the poor. I just constantly tie it back to the death and resurrection of Christ. And it's funny because they go from being defensive to disarmed because it's like, oh, mm. well, that makes sense. Oh, yes, that's right. Because Christ died and rose, I should serve the poor because he who was rich, though, uh, you know, he uh, became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Like, you just keep doing that. And then the Protestant con converts, mostly evangelicals, right, they realize, like, I don't give up Jesus to become Catholic. Right. I I'm walking into it. So what, what led to your to your conversion? Yeah, it was a lot of that. You know, I kind of fit the bill of the audience you just described. I was a pretty enthusiastic evangelical Protestant college student when Catholicism first came on my radar. Um, it was my senior year when I first started looking into Catholicism. And I was intrigued mainly because there was a bunch of Catholics that I liked. You know, I was reading people like <laughs> Augustine and yeah. Mother Teresa and Merton and Teresa of Avila. And I thought, gosh, these people get so much right I can't just dismiss the thing that they considered most important, you know, which was their Catholic faith and their belief in the Eucharist and their devotion to the sacraments and these kind of things. I couldn't, I couldn't real, I couldn't reconcile all of that with, uh, you know, all the other beautiful writing that I was finding in them. So that kind of got me on the path of looking into Catholicism. Uh, but then I, I discovered a lot of the same things that, that you just described that Catholicism isn't, like a zero sum game where it's either Jesus yeah. or the sacraments or it's the Bible or tradition or, you know, it's personal devotion to the Lord or this institutional hierarchy that it's this great synthesis, this great both and of all of that, um, maybe best encapsulated in the devotion we Catholics have to Mary, that Mary is not in competition with the Lord, but she's congruent and leads to the Lord, that she's reflecting the Lord and drawing us closer to the Lord. So it's not either Jesus or Mary, it's both Christ and his mother. Um, I think the resurrection plays into all that too, and, and all of it flows from the resurrection. It, it, what you said at the beginning reminded me of another story Bishop Barrett told me where he said he went to a conference that was on evangelization. It was on the theme of evangelization. It was like a three or four day conference. And he wasn't speaking till I think day three or something. And he walked up to the microphone before his talk. And the first thing he said was, in the name of the risen Lord, I greet you. And it, people stood up and he said, they gave me a standing ovation before I even said anything else for, <laughs> for like a minute. And so after his talk, he asked one of the attendees, like, what was that all about? And they said, you know, this whole conference is on evangelization. And that was the first time anybody had mentioned the resurrection or the Lord after three days. <laughs> he thought, what, what a colossal failure <laughs> then yeah. that we've had. We call that the three days of darkness. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that was how? the Holy Saturday period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we come back to Von Balthazar with the Holy Saturday. Yeah. How? Like, okay, here's my question then. What the heck were they talking about on day one and day two? Yeah, well, I think, unfortunately, and you know this as well as I do, that in 20th century theology, there's been a, a strong push when talking about the resurrection and evangelization to subjectifize it. So when yeah. we talk about, you know, introducing people to the Lord, it's it's mainly about raising your heart and your mind and 
and achieving a certain experience. When we talk yeah. about Jesus risen from the dead, what we really mean is that, you know, the spirit of Jesus is still alive among us. We can follow his teachings and he's present in some, you know, mystical spiritual way, but there's no hard emphatic emphasis like St. Paul had that, no, Jesus actually died on the cross. We killed him uh. and he rose from the dead and came back with forgiving love. This really happened. And it's because it really happened that everything is totally changed and, and it upends your life once you're convinced of that. Um, so we lost a lot of that. We lost a lot of, I think, the the radical uh, beating the same note on the same drum of Jesus raised from the dead. That's how Paul did it. That's how Peter did it. That's how the church fathers did it. This is how the Christian faith spread so quickly over the first few centuries. But we've, yeah. we've lost a lot of that today. We've lost that love and feeling. Um, because the, the reality is an idea can't love you, an idea can't have mercy on you, an idea can't embrace you, but a person can. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I feel I feel this is so strongly. Like I was totally raised um in a in a youth group that was a lot like that when I um uh not the lifting group that I was here in at my home parish still, but right before I moved down here. And it was all the it was either you did service projects or it was all socials and touchy feely kind of stuff. And you realize, like, why would a high school student give up sleeping with his girlfriend? Why would they give up their booze and their drugs for the sake of a warm fuzzy that you give them on confirmation retreat? Like, you know, like the spirit within you and we're all blessed. And it's like, yeah, but I have some deep issues and you're not calling me to repentance in that. And that is what I've found. Number one, we deny the person when we go all subjectivist. And number two, we deny people the ability to repent and be forgiven. Yeah. Right. Like how insane is that, that we have an entire, you know, almost a generation of Catholics, if not two, who were raised on this notion that like, I just got to, you know, uh, what, what is that book title? Uh, I'm OK. You're OK. Right. Like yeah. just. Yeah. And it, I can't and think of aren't... I can't think of a statement more antithetical to Christianity than that. <laughs> Christianity <laughs> says we're not OK, but Christ makes us OK. Yeah. But you can't do it by yourself, and you can't do it with warm fuzzies and all the things you just described. What are um, so you also founded another wonderful website called Strange Notions? Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Because I steal stuff from there all the time, and <laughs> may or may not give you credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Strange Notions started about five years ago. So at the time, I was really involved with dialoguing with atheists. So I had a lot of atheist friends and uh, online acquaintances. And we were going all back and forth on the arguments for the existence of God and faith versus science and questions about morality and all that kind of stuff. And I came to realize that there's not really a place where people could go to have serious charitable discussions about these things online. There are lots of atheist websites, but if you go into the comment boxes there, most of them are just making fun of Christians. And there's lots of Christian websites that deal with some of these topics, but they're pretty uncharitable toward atheists. So what? I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to set up sort of a, an oasis online where people interested sincerely in these questions could have genuine discussion. Um, but I knew it, it needed a bunch of content because the content would generate the discussion, but I didn't have the time or the expertise to do it all myself. So I gathered about three dozen experts. So these are some of the top theologians, scientists, philosophers, artists, 
uh, thinkers, uh, all sorts of people. And they've contributed articles. First, we were doing one article a day, every day throughout the week. Now we kind of back off. We've done maybe, we do maybe about one a week or one every other week now. Um, but every article generates, I don't know, somewhere between three and 400 comments. So we've had tens of thousands of discussions on the website and the discussions are, are generally fair-minded, generous, sincere, um, we've seen a, a number of people change their minds. Um, I still haven't gotten an email from <laughs> someone who said I'm an atheist and now I'm a full fledged Catholic. I've been baptized, but, uh, I've heard from a, a number of atheists who have become deists. So they believe in, in a God now. Um, some have become, uh, Protestants. Um, there's been a couple that have drifted toward Eastern Orthodoxy. So anyway, <laughs> so and, close, and, so close, yes. <laughs> but I always, I mean, you know, this too, that a lot of this, a lot of the evangelical work that you and I do, whether it's podcasting or online, one of the difficulties is that you rarely see the fruit of your work. You know, you, uh-huh. you guys have a podcast, you have multiple podcasts where you have tens of thousands of listeners and you'll maybe get emails or comments from 10 of them or 50 yeah. of them. So, you know, what, what, how did it affect those thousands of other people? We'll, we'll never know this side of, of heaven. And so I think that's probably what's going on in Strange Notions. Um, it ranks very high on a lot of provocative Google search terms that I know a lot of atheists and Christians are searching for about God's existence or are there reasons to believe in God and things like mm. that. So mm. I think it's helping a lot of people out. Uh, I, I encourage people, if you go to the website, strangenotions.com, by far the most popular thing that we have on the site is you'll see it right off the bat. It's a big graphic that says 20 arguments for the existence of God and is written by Dr. Peter Kraft, the philosophy professor at Boston College. And he lays out 20 different reasons to believe in God. There's a couple that are sort of funny and simplistic. Does he have the music of Johann Sebastian That's Bach? That's the one, yeah. It's like yeah. two sentences. Yeah. yeah. The, the you either music get this of, one or you don't. <laughs> the music of Bach exists, therefore there is a God. You either yeah. get this or you don't. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, I send that article to so many people when they tell me there's no reason to believe in God or you just believe yeah. in God because you wish God was ex- exists or you were born in America, so that's why you right. believe in God. Um, so I find many Catholics are surprised to learn there's not just one, two, three, four, but up to 20 strong philosophical arguments that have been battled and uh, and massaged and argued for over the centuries. Yeah. So, I mean, Christianity is a smart faith. We don't just take it on blind naivete. It's It's been yeah. thought through and we have good reasons to believe. Yeah, one of the big things for... Um when I do these one-on-one interviews, so our diocese, I j- j- just had my meeting today and they're adamant. When you meet people, don't just throw them in a class, sit down and evaluate what they need, where they need to go, you know. And so, uh, you know, over the years now, I've done 200 of these, 300 of these with adult confirmation and RCIA and all these different things. And uh, one thing I say now, no matter who I talk to and when it's about conversion and I know they're open or seeking or curious, you know, and they're even though they're coming for a sacrament and they don't have faith in the risen Lord, um, I always tell them, I say, now, when I'm giving these classes and teaching, if you have an objection, a doubt, a fear, a worry, a hesitation, uh, a tangent, like, please bring them up, interrupt me or email me if you don't feel comfortable doing that. Because when you walk in the door, God does not expect you to check your brain at the door. Mm. God gave you a brain. God gave you the power of human reason to use. And I said, and I want you to hear this, a, uh, a questioning mind is not a sign of a lack of faith but rather a faith that's taken seriously 
Mm-hmm. It's seriously enough that you ask questions. And I say that because I just kind of made that up to this one woman who's converting from Islam. And she told me, she was raised Southern Baptist, you know, bounced around all these different things. And then Islam, she was a strict Sunni Muslim woman. Um, she read the Quran from front to, uh, front to back with a legal pad and wrote down everything the prophet said about women. Hmm. And then when she got to the end of it, she said, I can't believe this. And she closed it. She worked for the local imam, all this stuff. She's a fascinating woman. Wow. I love her to death. Her her son, my godson, was an atheist, unbaptized, like all this stuff. And uh, he got in arguments with people online uh, about Catholicism and evolution and science and reason. So he suggested maybe let's go talk to the Catholic priest. So they both converted. But she told me, she said, you know how I knew this was the right place? And I was like... Because you saw my glorious face. And she said, no, <laughs> yes. no, why would you ever think that? Yeah. <laughs> then she shamed me for 20 minutes. And then after that, she said, it was when you told me that asking questions wasn't a lack mm-hmm. of faith. Because mm-hmm. every other place told me, now stop asking those questions. That means you don't, just pray for more faith. Pray for more faith. It's like, whenever I take something serious, I ask questions, Of right? course, yeah. I mean, we look at the surveys of young people that have left the church especially those who were raised Protestant and left the church, that response comes up again and again, that the people at my church never provided answers to the questions I were asking, or they suppressed the questions I was asking. They didn't even want to hear them. And that breaks my heart because it, it makes it seem like Christianity is like afraid of intellectual interrogation when it couldn't be further from the truth. We're, We're the smartest, most, hard-thinking faith that's ever been. I, I, I don't think there's anybody who is, I mean, read any page of the Summa Theologia by St. Thomas Aquinas and tell me that Catholicism isn't a faith interested in the hardest questions and the most probing objections and challenges. We're open to all that. We're not afraid of any of that. And we need to, we need to emphasize that, especially among young people. Yeah. Uh, our own confirmation program, whenever they, <laughs> they invite me to give a talk every year called, um, Gomer presents uh, proofs to the existence of God in 15 minutes or less. And it's like this tongue in cheek thing. I'm like, and so the whole thing is like, it's such crap that they only give me 15 minutes. How can I do this? You know, so I go through and I run, I, I'm a big fan of Reverend Timothy Keller and his oh, book, yeah. um, Reason for Belief and, and the Nature of God. And I go through some of his stuff. Like, I really like his meaning and purpose. Like, you, uh, mm-hmm. a discovered meaning is always better than an invented meaning and things like that. But for, um, it didn't really click with the kids last year. And so I thought, okay, maybe there's some culture shift. Maybe I just didn't teach it very well, which let's be honest, that's not true. And so then I went to the, (laughs) this is the third or fourth year that I've done it. And I did it in an entirely different way. Um, And essentially it was like the first half was, okay, I'm looking at this room. There's 260 high school students preparing for confirmation. So big program, right? And I look at this room and I say to myself, before I go on, they're all atheists. I have mm-hmm. to act as if they're all atheists because if they're not, this is going to edify them. But if they are, then at least they can say, well, you know, that one guy did argue a reason. So the whole first half of the 15 minutes, so seven and a half minutes are dedicated to sympathy. Listen, I, I know where you're coming from. Like you're struggling with this and just to like get the defensive barriers down the next seven and a half minutes is, oh, you think you have objections to Catholicism? or to, you know, to, to our faith, let me tell you, no one, Karl Marx, Feuerbach, none of those people ever objected to, to, um, the religious hypocrites more than the prophets. Mm -hmm. You want to hear someone that denies, um, pie in the sky, 
you know, um, oh, you just believe whatever you're told. No one would do that more than St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's like, if, if this isn't true, then we're the most to be pitied on the face of this earth. And you just start, and I just point to like six, uh, like three or four different biblical texts, and then I just leave. And then I'm like, okay, hopefully, the, <laughs> hopefully that just put that in your head. So I, I, it just it just breaks my heart. So what are you? Did, did, yeah. did you think that was better received than the original well, strategy? The, the 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 this is how I know it was better received. Kids that I've never met before. So I have relationships because I used to be involved in youth ministry. Kids that I've never met before walked by me, you know, with their earbuds in. They said, "Good talk," and then they walked away. <laughs> I, or they say Which for them is like a five star review. Yeah, right? yeah. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> better than a hug from my dad uh <laughs> no they say uh good good spe- you make good speeches and i was like wow you have terrible english um but they're in public school so it's fine uh but no so we d- they say things like that and then um you know and then a couple kids who i know personally who are struggling with atheism they just need to know that because i don't have all the i's dotted and t's crossed in my own mind, because I'm still struggling with who Jesus Christ is, or maybe I know who Christ is, I'm struggling with the implications of that for my mm-hmm. life, because they're in a culture that is so saturated with the anti-gospel that it's so hard for a teenage mind who's been built on conformity with peers to say, you mean, I have to say all of this is wrong and all of that is not healthy and yeah. this is this narrow way is the way that... I give them permission to struggle without feeling ashamed of the struggle. Like, yeah, mm. the struggle belongs in the church. It's yeah. okay to struggle. Yeah, I think that's so healthy, especially for, again, a young person that's kind of on the fence. They've been forced to go to this program. They're not quite sure what they really believe themselves. For for someone to give them space to say, you know, it's okay not to be able to answer all the questions or be unsure about what you believe. We're, we're, we're okay with the doubt and the wrestling and all that kind of stuff. That's not the the final stop. We want to move through these questions and challenges with you, but it's okay to have those struggles now. Awesome. And lastly, I have uh, been wanting to talk to you about this. How's the uh, reading the books, reading the books program that you're putting together? How's that going? It's good. Yeah. So uh, a few years ago, I launched this program called Read More Books Now, and it was kind of a, a summary of all of the reading tips and strategies that I've learned over the past several years, going from being like someone who never read books at all in high school. <laughs> I think I maybe finished one book yeah. to now I typically read 75, 100, 125 books a year. Um, and a lot of that happened as a result of my faith, you know, and I've, I've met so many Christian converts that have a similar story. They went from being non-intellectual, not book readers at all. Then they became Christian and suddenly they gorge themselves on, on books. Um, so I think there's like a spiritual dimension to it, but anyway, in this program, I share a lot of, a lot of basic tips and strategies that I think people know deep down inside, but don't practice. So for example, um, I can't tell you how many people I meet that are, convicted that they have to finish every single book that they start. Otherwise uh-huh. they feel like they've wasted their time. Like if yeah, I, read, I, I was such a completionist. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. If I read 20% of the book, you know, I've invested time and energy yeah. and money or whatever into it. So I, I might as well finish it. But you know, I tell people that's the sunk cost fallacy that yeah. just be, it doesn't matter how much you've invested into it. The question is, is it helping you now? Are you enjoying it now? And if not drop it, you've already invested time in it before. You don't have to invest any more in it. That's one strategy. Uh, I remind people to always keep a book accessible. So you should always have at your grasp either a print book or, 
you know, a Kindle e-reader or something on your tablet or your phone or whatever. Um, that way you're never stuck reading like old magazines in a doctor's office or, you know, whatever's <laughs> in the back of your airplane seat. Uh, yeah. There's so many times during the day when there's time to read if we just take advantage of it. So anyway, I, all that is put together in this 10 part video series called Read More Books Now that uh, I'm giving out for free to people that are inside my Claritas U membership site. So if you go to Claritas, like the Latin word for clarity, Claritas U, the letter U.com, you can find out more about that. Nice. At first, I thought you made up Claritas. I didn't realize it was a Latin word. I was like, Veritas, <laughs> Clarity, I get it. And then I was like, oh, that's a real word. That's actually okay. the Latin word. <laughs> Shame. Shame. I should read more Latin. Um, yeah, I think that's so awesome. My big uh, breakthrough moment, I had two of them in college. I read How to Read a Book by yes. Mortimer Adler, and yes. I was like, oh, I should mark these things up, and I should skim stuff, and I should read the table of contents before I dive into a book, especially nonfiction books and stuff like that. And then the other thing was I roomed with a guy for um, a summer who was a voracious reader. And what he would do, he was a philosophy grad student, and what he would do was he would get the syllabus ahead of time and ask people like, hey, what kind of books does he make you buy? And so he would go and buy those early, and he would read every one of them cover to cover, and then he'd buy or go to the library and get more books around those books. So he was taking a um, epistemology man. of St. Bonaventure. And uh, and I said, oh, I had a, um, a medieval philosophy class and we covered the epistemology of St. Bonaventure. And he grilled me for like 30 minutes of like all these things. And I was like, oh, oh, I, it's like a thimble full of information I can give you, buddy. <laughs> but then I gave him my textbook and he had it read before I went home. And he just lit this fire in me. I always mm. liked reading. Um, Peter Craved, I mean, I've read almost everything he's ever written. But when, like, when it came time for academic work, I just had this thing in my head that's like, nah. Nah, and then I, my junior year, I became a nut for it, and I read, yeah, similar to you. What are you reading that's not religious or philosophical, or uh, and it can't be Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? <laughs> I just started the famous novel. It's kind of a Catholic-ish novel, Kristen Lavenstadter. So it was written in like the 1930s by Sigrid Unset, won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, but it's this big, sprawling, epic novel of this young girl, and it's all about sin and redemption and grace, the whole village is infused with Catholicism, lots of huh. priests and churches and things. Uh, but it's kind of a, it's kind of like a hipster Catholic novel. Like <laughs> everybody's talking about Kristen Lavenstadter now. Um, so anyway, <laughs> it's a three volume thing. I was thing. reading I'm her before two. she was cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was reading her back in the 1930s. Uh, but yeah, I'm reading that. What else am I reading? Um, uh, I'm, I'm reading, I'm into the Vikings. So thanks to oh, right. the history the show, channel right? Viking show and yeah. the last kingdom, which is Bernard Cornwell's, uh, fictional series of the creation of England. So I've gotten into a lot of that. Um, but I, I, as a reader, I, I just follow wherever my interests are at the time. I have no problem closing a book or closing a genre and moving on to something else. Uh, it's kind of like walking in a bookstore. You just look around and if that piques your interest, you pick that up and read for a little bit and then put it down. And then that picks up your interest, you read that. So um, I, I think that kind of reading style is what also leads to reading many more books. Yeah, I uh I am a science fiction junkie, a uh, mm. hard, hard science fiction, mm. right? Even though I have not a scientific bone in my body and I just love it. So that is the stuff I have to read. I always read it on my Kindle on my phone. I have to read it in order to stop my brain from racing at yeah. the end of the night. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm anxious. I got ideas, whatever it might be. I, I had a terrible argument with someone at work or whatever it might be. I read these science fiction books and then I, um, 
I'm a big Audible fan as well. Oh yeah. And there's a couple series that I just I listen to them just over and over, and they never get old. Because Who, who's your narrator, favorite? Who's uh, your favorite sci-fi author? Uh so uh, there is a series called um, uh, what is it called? Galaxy's Edge, and it's written by these two authors, um, Jason uh, Anspach and Nicholas Cole, mm. and they have my favorite narrator which is rc bray he did the martian he's done a, some oh, pretty famous. i've listened books. to that on audible that was a great yeah. listen yeah yeah he is incredible yeah he, there is a, no one that compares to him he is incredible and he also does this series called expeditionary force and i i just go back and i re-listen expeditionary force is funny it's meant to be a funny uh the 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 writer there is a is a humorous guy craig allenson but um the other two guys nicholas anspach and or nicholas Cole and Jason Anspach, they um, they their military background, so they're all like heavy into that stuff. But it is it, it is fun world building, and they most science fiction they don't know how to ask deep questions. Yeah, uh, there was one there was one series that takes you right up to a deep question, and then the guy's like, oh, "We're not going to think about that." <laughs> Literally, the author <laughs> writes that, and I was like, "Oh, uh. okay." So it is just a throw. It's like a romance novel for yeah, bearded, yeah, yeah, for neckbeards <laughs> like me. Uh, yeah. So that that's about it. That's about it. So if there's anything you want to plug um, for your uh, for your evangelization efforts, I know um, I have the first issue. It's gorgeous of evangelization mm-hmm. and culture. Wonderful. Um, uh, is it ma- what you, magazine journal journal? Yeah, it's a journal. It's, a it's fancy the journal, journal we put out through the Word on Fire Institute. So the only way to get it is by joining the Word on Fire Institute, which Listeners can do at wordonfire.institute. That's the website. Uh, but when you join there, you get all sorts of online courses from Bishop Barron and from other professors and evangelists. You get access to all of Bishop Barron's films and study programs. And then this quarterly journal, we've released two issues now. The first one uh, was on, um, I think, I want to say literature. But then the second one we just released was on economics. And then Ooh. we have one coming up here on uh, the online world, the the digital world. Um, so these are, it's a real thick, substantial, beautiful journal with tons of great content. Um, yeah. So people can learn more and check it out at wordonfire.institute. Nice. Nice. And of course, all the other wonderful things that y'all are doing. Strange notions. Uh, what's the church father's website? churchfathers.org. Yeah, I don't know how I didn't get that one. Churchfathers.org. <laughs> the funny thing is, I Google it every time. And hey, I know and it's it, saved in a bookmark in one of my browsers on one of my computers. It's easier to Google and click. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Okay, churchfathers.org. Great Church Fathers quotes um, about the essentials of Catholic doctrine down through the ages. I love that for RCIA. And mm. there's a way that the fathers have of weaving theology, spirituality, and, pra- and uh, pastoral yeah. um, work that just trumps everything I've I ever th- done. And they, said. they don't see those distinctions between right. those things they're all just one thing for them right right now final comment do you ever feel like you have to out squat jared zimmer or anything <laughs> like that i'm not you sure ever? that's possible I, yeah we have a pretty big bodybuilding contingent at word on fire I, I think probably probably the strongest group in the catholic world for sure <laughs> that's so funny it's like oh thank god i'm a remote employee uh, i'll be down here <laughs> exactly. uh, with my jazzercise and my curves <laughs> Uh, I do. Yeah. I do have. I'm very proud of this. I do have a treadmill under my desk, so I have a standing desk, and I've been nice. walking while I work. And so, uh, you know, Jared can squat 
1,200 pounds, but I walk two miles an hour each day, so I think we're pretty even. <laughs> but can he sashay with the best of them? I say no. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on, and especially such late notice. You you are an officer and a gentleman, good sir. Uh, thank you, and, man. It's and, good talking with you. Yeah, and thank the good bishop and everyone else at Word on Fire for doing such great work for the kingdom. It's awesome. Will do. Thanks. All righty. God bless.